Hello and welcome to the Global Voices podcast, your weekly dose of global news and local voices. I'm your host Amiya, speaking from Delhi, India. Each week, insiders from our community share what news matters more in their communities and how they build stories out of the local context. This week, we're speaking to some of the people who work with Rising Voices, the outreach initiative of Global Voices. Rising Voices, or RV as we call it, aims to help to bring new voices from new communities who speak endangered or indigenous languages into the global conversation by giving them the training, the resources, sometimes even funding and mentor mentorship so that they can tell their own digital story using participatory media. In 2019, the International Year of Indigenous Languages, RV started a program of collaborative and rotating Twitter accounts to create a space for the diverse voices of our hosts to talk about their experiences of revitalizing those languages. As we kick off this year's program, I'm joined by three of our rotating hosts. Hi, and welcome to the GV podcast. Can you tell us your names, where you are, and the languages you work on? Hello, um, my name is Amrit Sufi. I am from Bihar, India, and I work with the Angika language. Hi everyone, um, my name is Jonathan. And I'm in Mexico, the southern Mexico, in Yucatan Peninsula, and I uh, and I work in the um, in an uh, indigenous language called Ayapaneco or Soke Ayapaneco, spoken in the south of Mexico. Hello, everyone. My name is Adeshino Ayeni. Boy, a lot of people call me Omo Yoruba. I'm presently in Nigeria, and I represent the Yoruba language speaking people of West Africa. Thank you very much. All right. So I'm going to kick off by asking all of you, uh, what has it been like? working to revitalize a language okay uh, let me start um well in nigeria as we know nigeria is um colonized by the uh, the british um during the amalgamation of um the south protectorate the north and the west in 1914 the english language has become uh, became our major lingua franca in schools on the in the media um, in the prints and what have you, we communicate in the English language. And this has actually brought a lot of drawback for the indigenous languages. In Nigeria, for instance, we have over 200 um, languages and even more, and a lot of ethnic groups. So Nigeria is diverse in, in terms of languages. So using English as a major lingua franca has actually brought a lot of um, setback for the progress and the development of the indigenous languages. So for me, I am a journalist, so I took it upon myself to use my journalistic approach, my journalistic uh, profession to promote and propagate my own indigenous language, which is the Yoruba language. The Yoruba language is um, the third most spoken language in Nigeria um, after Aousa and Igbo. In the southwest part of Nigeria, we speak Yoruba language, and Yoruba language is so 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 big that we have speakers of Yoruba language across the border, across Nigeria, outside Nigeria, in the Republic of Bene, in Togo, um, and outside in the diaspora in Brazil, in the Americas, and Cuba, and the likes. So for me, I took it upon myself to promote my indigenous languages because in schools is a taboo to speak the Yoruba language. It is tagged vernacular. Oh, if you speak vernac, if you speak the language, your father, your mother tongue, you'll be punished or you'll be fined. You have to pay some money to the teacher or to the um, class head. 
Uh, and that became something ridiculous to me. So ever since I've been looking for a way and planning to develop the language. So after I left um, I institution uh, as, a, as um, a graduate of mass communications, I started producing content. Yeah, I'd like to talk about it. Uh... Uh, of the political and social reasons as well as personal uh, you know uh, aspects of it so uh, the my native uh, tongue that is anglika is spoken majorly in um, uh, bihar uh, and uh, jharkhand west bengal and some regions of nepal the terai region of nepal and uh, so yeah um, but um, like i was born here uh, but my parents had to take us to another state that is the neighboring state jharkhand for our education because uh, this is a village our uh, native place is a village and there are not very good opportunities of education here so uh, we lived there for uh, for um, like one and a half decade and then uh, we moved out for um, college education and then my parents moved back moved back to bihar and when uh, i came back uh, for you uh, know my vacations here um, so I noticed that it is, you know, uh, there is a culture which is uh, different from uh, that of Jharkhand, the other state. And uh, um, of course, there are a lot of things that uh, that I became alien to and which I was uh, familiar with when I was a child, when I was still living here. So I um, realized that I have become alien to my own culture. So, yeah, I started by, I thought that what can I do? How can I, you know, maybe utilize my education, uh, my, uh, you know, skills to bring my culture uh, to, um, you know, uh, make it more popular because that is the reason that, you know, uh, because this, uh, you know, uh, there is this post-colonization effect as Umo, you've also talked about that uh, it, uh, English is still uh, dominant. And other than English, um, Hindi uh, also, uh, you know, Hindi has sort of taken that dominant role over uh, North Indian languages. And uh, speaking politically, uh, in the 60s, uh, the State Reorganization Commission, when uh, different states of India were being formed, so Hindi, uh, Bihar was put under this, uh, you know, um, Hindi built uh, states. So there is this conception that people of Bihar speak Hindi, which is uh, like not entirely true. Uh, most of the people here, like there are several languages in India, uh, sorry, uh, in Bihar, uh, India. And uh, yeah, so um, the, there's uh, this uh, lack of uh, awareness about uh, the diverse culture of the state itself. So that was a motivating factor for me. And then um, also, um, yeah, I, uh, like I um, came across uh, various toolkits while I was creating the oral culture transcription toolkit. And uh, I saw the various ways in which one can uh, promote their language on digital platforms. And because, yeah, digital platforms are the future. Uh, internet has reached everywhere. Although, uh, you know, uh, right now in my village, it's not so good, but, you know, it is here. And people, fun uh, you know, a lot of things are carried out via the internet nowadays. So, yeah, so digitizing, uh, you know, uh, the like I did initially, I uh, recorded a few folk songs that my aunt sang. I uh, recorded them and uploaded them on Wikimedia Commons, transcribed them so that people can read what is actually uh, being sung, that they can understand the meaning and uploaded that on uh, Wikisource. And I hope that people uh, will be using uh, that, um, uh, you know, uh, that toolkit to do it for their own language and culture as well. Uh, not only to folk songs, but also to oral history. 
And you know, um, for example, the toolkit while we were testing it, uh, one of the volunteers uh, used it to record um, about uh, record uh, you know his grandfather's interview about his time in Delhi during the partition. And you know, uh, so yeah, a lot of stuff can uh, you know that can be digitized and put online and you know uh, normalizing uh, one's culture can be done hopefully yeah it makes total sense i mean it definitely when when omo yuba was talking about the colonial schools and the vernacular and i remember when i was growing up also the you get into trouble for not speaking english in school of course for whatever reason i grew up speaking english so in some ways english is my mother tongue but i also realized how it's cut me off from so much of my own family's history, you know, on different sides, because my family comes from different linguistic groups in that sense. Uh, Jonathan, please tell us your story. Yeah, uh, well, um, for, for those who are not familiar with the linguistic situation in Mexico, well, there's several languages. It's a very diverse country in terms of linguistic diversity. There's a lot of indigenous languages and some other migration languages too, recent and not so recent. So uh, there's about like some people talk about 60 indigenous languages lists, but if you count all the variants and everything, it goes up to 300 and something uh, uh, variants, including all the languages and variants together, indigenous. Um, so yeah, uh, and in the case of Mexico, I mean, all of the indigenous languages present somehow some degree of endangerment and uh and yeah so that was one of the one of the things uh all of them all the indigenous languages present some degree of level of endangerment and um and 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 uh, and especially there are like a, a lot of languages that are critically endangered that's the case in, in the language that i've been um that i've been participating in and working with and, and with community and everything uh which is soka yapaneko which is a critically critically endangered language is only spoken by elders and i uh and uh for a few by a few elders and since uh, almost nine years we've been working on like revitalization program with um uh, and uh some younger members of the community myself and and some elders to put together like some sort of program to work on and um and yeah because the, the needed the need was that the elders wanted to kind of like do this last effort to try to revitalize the language um it's been a lot of struggle to be honest i mean lack of resources as you can imagine if you don't have a lot of speakers or a lot of uh the the most the the the, the main mainly most of the speakers are elders so that's kind of it's difficult sometimes and we've been trying to chip in like with the new unit iterations and working in, in some uh firstly documentation working on developing materials some where they're working on developing some tech solutions or some technological capacities and so on. We just finished uh, a couple of years ago, but we don't have a way to write the language. That's something important to say. So we don't we don't have a, a practical orthography or some sort of uh, like that. So we worked on that a couple of years ago and we 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 ended up like having uh, developing a, a practical orthography that which right now it is allowed us to to kind of like put content in, in other platforms or in other areas. Uh, of technology, for instance, like uh, I mentioned Wikipedia. Well, we were not able to do that because we didn't have a, a way to write the language. 
So that was a little bit difficult even to use Wikipedia as a resource for us. Um, so uh, now with that, with the fractal electrography, we're going to be able to, to write more things and we start producing material. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, as, I, as you all know, like it's the, the situation is, I mean, we're like a, in a situation that is complicated and for many indigenous communities and especially for those that are in this level of endangerment, which a lot of things uh, come together in terms of lack of resources, poverty, and, and, and a lot of a bunch of other issues. So sometimes it's hard to kind of work to try to put together a program and, and work together to actually do some revitalization efforts because you have very, very, very limited resources and you have to do a lot of things at the same time as much as you can. And, and, and that has been one of the, the bigger challenges until today. We continue with the efforts with different things here and there. Uh, with the few, few people that we collaborate there uh, and and try to do the best we can do in the next couple of years. And we hope that indigenous, uh, the decade of indigenous language is gonna provide some some help or some funding or some, uh, uh, you know, uh, support for this community. We're, we're hoping that it's gonna be the case at least. I hope so too. It's definitely a very important cause that we have. Uh, let's uh, actually use this as a great point to jump to another question I had, which is uh, that, you know, there's got to be some things about going digital and Jonathan, you've answered this, right? Uh, that are really hard, like, you know, not having a script or not having internet access or technology access and things like that. But are there, what are the good things about being able to put a language uh, into the digital world? Omo Yuba, would you like to answer? Yes, uh, there are so many advantages and so many um, benefits for putting out uh, content in indigenous languages in the, on the web and on all digital platforms. For instance, I when I started, I I added I, it was difficult for me to connect um, steadily on the internet because the internet is expensive in this part of the world in Nigeria, and most of the times it is always slow. So I was able to get some little funding from someone to buy internet. The person noticed my zeal and my passion for the language. So I approached him and he was like, wow, this is this is a good thing to support. So that is part of the one of the benefits of putting the content online. And also um, there are so many um, job opportunities, freelancing um, avenues and opportunities that people can take advantage of. For instance, I, I just got a new position with Taos. Um, as the ambassador in Nigeria to recruit people to translate content in the three major Nigerian languages. And also putting content online makes it more vis visible. Um, this is the era of AI, artificial intelligence. Most of the things going on around us now, uh, is it machine learning? Is it um, voice uh, speech to test? voice recognition, facial recognition, are uh, all um, under AI. So by putting our content, uh, indigenous languages on the web, it will be visible and the presence will be made um, all, over the, all over the world. We can use our languages for dictionaries, using voice, for instance, on WhatsApp, if you want to type a message on WhatsApp, you can use the voice um, recognition features. But for languages like the Yoruba language, you can't do that. But if we have a lot of um, audio corpora on the internet stored somewhere, stored on, uh, on the server, um, web developers and um, technologists can go there, uh, get these um, audio resources and use uh, to feed the software. 
So these are parts of the importance of um, putting the indigenous languages on the web. So you're saying essentially you get better visibility, uh, better chance to get noticed, and also the fact that it exists means that technology has to take, has to keep it in mind when people are developing new things. Exactly. All right. Um, Amrit, uh, uh, one sec before I go to Amrit, I did want to ask you, did you have any similar problems with scripts and things like that in terms of getting uh, the getting Yoruba onto the internet? The script was, the Yoruba script was adopted. Um, we adopted the Latin script and that was a long time ago. That was, um, I think, 1843. It was, it, it started with the missionaries coming into Nigeria. So the missionaries in a, in a means to, to project um, their religious um, education to us, there's a need for them to create a script to translate the English Bible into the Yoruba um, language. So at that process, the script was created. So we had the script a long time ago in the 17th century, yeah, a long time ago. So when it came for us to start using it in tech, um, some tech people um, created the scripts. So we have that script. So okay. it was not a difficulty, yeah, it was okay, not a difficulty. Okay, okay. Amrit, uh, what are the things that you found that are really great about uh, trying to do this digitally or, you know, what was it? Did you have any challenges with the Angika script as well? Uh, so, uh, yeah, there are a few challenges with the Angika script. It is currently written in using the Devanagari script that is also used to write Hindi uh, and some other languages. Uh, but uh, it was written historically using the uh, Kaithi script. So it was a bit different and it made space, um, as far as I'm aware, of, uh, for a few um, uh, vowel sounds which are not in um, the Devanagari one. So, um, so that, uh, like uh, many language activists of Angika, they are worried that it is resulting in a sort of, uh, you know, uh, fusion or, you know, like, uh, like uh, you might also say it's a purist uh, way of thinking, but yeah, like it is not fully representative of uh, the sounds of Angika. So that is the problem. And yeah, I'm hoping that it, uh, you know, it will be resolved sometime in the future, sometime soon in the future. Um, other than that, about the benefits of uh, digitization of uh, language. Uh, so yeah, uh, there are a lot of benefits. Uh, uh, like, uh, you know, when I type about Angika language, uh, there are a lot of videos appear, the, the popular songs and all of that. And uh, yeah, people are doing a lot of uh, great work on YouTube. Some have created online dictionaries and there's, uh, there are a few websites for Angika language. So yeah, the, you know, it provides visibility as you stated. And it also normalizes the language. So I think that, you know, with the internet, uh, it, um, you know, it uh, being, uh, what to say, not uh, something uh, along with the internet also comes, you know, uh, exposure to a lot of cultures, which is really great. And I think that can be, uh, you know, utilized uh, by, uh, you know, all uh, native languages. So yeah, we do not have to uh, just consume what is uh, available. We can also be the creator yeah, you know, we can uh, put our language and our culture and uh, our, you know, uh, lifestyle, you know, make it available to the people at large. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the most important things that we must remember to share each other's lifestyles and cultures. Uh, Jonathan, um, have you come across some specific tools that you find are very useful when it comes to working uh, in this space? Mm, well, uh, I think that for 
for for us what worked very good was the videos because i was telling you uh the, the challenge of the writing so uh we have to kind of like yeah. go on the more on the more like video audio and that that was good for instance youtube videos and stuff like that really worked because it was easy to to actually share and stuff like that so that was that was a very good tool at the beginning uh when you don't have a a, a practical way to write a language or is complex still uh, I think that the orality is, or the oral part, or the it's, it's, it's very important, and that's uh, different tools or different areas that you can use. Um, and now that we started to write in the language, well, uh, we we've been using a little bit Twitter, uh, Twitter, uh, the social media that we've been using. So we have a page on Facebook, and that's more general page, uh, the community page. And then on Facebook, we have some sort of uh, we created some sort of bot, a Twitter bot which is actually to translate. I mean, you ask uh, a word in the language and, and the Japanese on the Twitter bot responds to you with a translation uh, in the language that if it has really it. Cool. So that's what we implemented, the things that we, we, we have a way to write the language. Before that, it was not possible to do that. So that, that tool was, it's still like, we're still working on it. Um, and uh, and it, yeah, it's like cost nothing in terms of, you know, just like a Twitter account and, well, you need to do, know some programming to actually configure that. But other than that, it's, it's virtually free. So that was one a good tool for, because we use it as a dictionary. So, uh, because we are, oh, that's the other thing, we're working on a dictionary, a digital dictionary, but in the meantime that we're working on it, well, we use that Twitter as a dictionary if the kids that are learning the language or the young people want to know a word in the language. They just ask that in, in Twitter about response, and at least we use it as an inter interactive dictionary. So that's one of the tools that we've been using for the last year to test it um, in, the, in the language. And I think that it's important to put in the space because that's the other thing um, that if a language doesn't exist in the, or it has not uh, visibility at all in the internet or digital tools, Sometimes, like you don't know, a lot of people doesn't know that some languages exist at all, and they don't even know that there are communities that speak them. There are people behind those languages, not only the language itself, but the communities. And I think it's important, like people know that there are a lot of communities out there, a lot of people that there speak those languages, and in turn, it's a good, it's a good way to actually uh, visualize or make visible uh, uh, the the language and the community that speaks the language, and 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 I think that's very important. And I think that was one of the, the, the things that we wanted to do to make visible this community that is a small, it's a small, the, the community is a small in terms of speakers because as I said, there's these, they exist. And before that, like there was no record on online or, or on, the, on, uh, on the internet about the language. So that's, we wanted to kind of make sure that people knew that there was a real community existent with the struggles and everything. And I think that was uh, one of the main points. And I think that's, that's wonderful for digital tools. Before we end, I wanted to ask each of you if you had like a quick little message you want people to walk away from this remembering. Okay, um, I want to speak in my language now. Okay, so in Yoruba we say "teni teni tekisan tato," which um, can be translated to "your own is your own, yours is yours." You can't compare yours with another man's own. So I'm um, passing on this message to everyone across the globe to take the indigenous languages um, seriously. In Yoruba language, we say because that is our language, that is our own. We shouldn't compare our own with other languages because that is what we have to project ourselves to the world. Thank you. That was beautiful, Omoiba.
Well, no, I mean, just uh, the message, like to go message for me is that like it's possible to create and it's important to create tools or actually to have presence of languages in online. And it's doable if our case that with very few researchers, very few speakers, very few infrastructure, we could do something. I think that like every community can have a shot too. So I think that's something that like that, that the message that I would say that is possible yeah. to do it, uh, but it requires like, you know, effort. So, um, but it's possible. And, and that's my message to go. And like in the language, I guess I would say like the two most used uh, phrases that we said is like, which means like, thank you. And um, and uh, like let's all speak our languages. In this case, nom diode is Japaneko, uh, uh, but it could be your language actually too. So okay. that's yeah. that's beautiful. Thank you. Report. Go for it. My message, Angika, for um, Angika community is that please uh, contribute uh, to your language and your culture on digital platforms and in real life practice it. And uh, yeah, make sure that uh, it remains a part of this uh, beautiful, diverse, colorful world. So my message in Angika was that Angika has Angika Thank you. Um, unfortunately, in the background, you're going to hear my cat who wants his language to be on this podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a very cute language. <laughs> He's been screaming the whole time. Anyway, but thank you for making the time, all of you, and for coming together. I wish you all the best with this beautiful work that you're doing. And uh, hopefully we'll have many more such conversations. Thank you. Thank you for making uh, a part of it. Thank you. You're very welcome, all of you. Bye. And that's all we have time for today. You've been listening to the Global Voices Podcast, your weekly dose of global news and local voices. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and tell your friends about us. Global Voices is an international, multilingual, primarily volunteer community of writers, translators and academics, and human rights activists. Our multilingual newsroom team reports on people whose voices and experiences are rarely seen in the mainstream media. To find out more, go to globalvoices.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Global Voices. The music in this podcast is from the track Voyage by Nick Markton from our extended Global Voices community.